what I wanted to do tonight, in light of kind of thinking about Acts all semester, is um, Acts, the reason I taught on that book this semester is because Acts is the story of people being shown grace and then going out and being a blessing to the world in light of that grace. It really is a story of the church and what it looks like for us to faithfully be God's people in the places in which we live. To be changed, transformed, forgiven by the mercy of grace of God, by a steadfast love, being affirmed and confirmed in that. And then, with that, together, the church going out into the world. And so, thinking about tonight, I decided what I wanted to do is I want to talk about friendship because... The heart of the church really is, it really is spiritual friendship. Um, that's really what God's doing in and among his people. That's, what's, that's kind of what holds the church together is actually our love for one another and our love for Christ. And so I actually just wanted to topically talk about friendship because at the end of the day, the church is a group of friends. Um, and as we kind of talk about we're going to talk about characteristics of it. There are kind of two things you need to know. One is this. The kind of friendship we're going to describe here um, doesn't necessarily come quickly. It can, uh, but it doesn't come often. The kind of friendship we're going to describe here, the, you're only going to have a couple of friends in life that are really these types of friends and this kind of intensity or intimacy. But at the same time, there are actual levels of intimacy. And when we walk into church, when we walk into a gathering, and when we are with God's people... There are levels of friendship at work there. And that's the second thing I want to say. So you don't have to have this kind of deep friendship with all of the brothers and sisters in Christ, but you certainly experience elements of it with all, with all of God's people. Yet at the same time, you're going to have just a couple of friends like these. Um, so keep that in mind. Don't panic when you're like, oh, I've got to be friends like this with everyone. That's not the purpose Purposes to describe ideal friendship, to see that you're going to have a couple, but also to see that these things are common characteristics of God's people together. So with that in mind, I'm actually just going to read the two passages you have there. One's from Ecclesiastes, uh, and then the other one is Jesus describing his friendship with the disciples. And then we will consider kind of topically the issue of friendship. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone, who falls and has not another to lift him up. If two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? If though a man prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. John 15. This is, these are Jesus, the, uh, his discourse with the disciples. This is, he, these are his last words to him, these chapters in John. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Let's consider what he has to say, and let's pray. Lord, as we consider the topic of friendship, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds, that your spirit would attend to your word. Dear God, that we may be intimidated, we may be afraid, we may find ourselves lonely, but I pray your spirit would work in our hearts, would draw us to you, that we would find you're friendly, that we would find in your people. There's friendship to be had, dear God. Change us, teach us, be with us now. In your name we pray, amen. Um, I don't think I've done an office illustration yet this semester, so I don't feel too bad about doing this. But uh, <clears throat> the thing we all love about the office, 
this is true, and you might not want it to be true of you, but it's still true of you. Don't you love that statement? Um, <laughs> is that we all identify with Michael Scott, right? Some people in here are paying, no, I don't, no, I don't. Yeah, 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 that's actually the draw of the office, is that Michael Scott verbalizes and overdoes all the fears and insecurities we have. And that's actually, that's the appeal of the show. That's, that's the connection to the show. It's actually not Jim and Pam we identify with. Everybody identifies with Michael. Either that or I'm a really lonely person because I'm the only person that identifies with Michael. Um, no, but I think it's true because Michael talks about his fears and then he makes them melodramatic, over the top, and we all laugh, but we know that there are seeds of those fears and insecurities in all of us. And um, in the second season... Y'all might remember this episode. Um, they're watching a video of Michael on a kid's show when he's eight years old. Have y'all seen this? Okay. And, like, the host asks eight-year-old Michael Scott what his dream or his hope in life is. And this is what he says. I want to get married and have 100 kids so that I can have 100 friends, and no one can say no to being my friend. <laughs> and it's like a painful laugh when you, like, laugh at that line because... Um, he's saying something we all identify with on some level. Um, the need for connection, the need for friendship. And uh, we, it's human to not want to be lonely. It's good to not want to be lonely. Um, and yet, in some ways, we don't know how to not be lonely. Uh, literally in Genesis 2, this is before sin and evil enter in the world, right? God has created man. Nothing bad has ever happened in the world. God's perfect plan is, hasn't been thwarted yet. Um, and he creates man. He creates Adam. And God, God looks at him and he realizes it is not good for man to be alone. There's an ache for friendship even before sin enters into the world. It is written into who we are as humans to long for connection, to long for friendship. Uh, in, in Ephesians 4, Paul's describing maturity in the church. And he's using that imagery of the church kind of as a body or as a building or as a unit, that it's this corporate entity of all these individuals that go together. And he says, there's actually no such thing as spiritual maturity outside of friendship, outside of connection and the benefit of being in and with God's people. And so I want to consider friendship in light of the fact that it's, it's really what it means to be human and spend a brief moment talking about when friendship isn't. And I don't think I'm going to have to defend this first one. I think you'll... I think you'll go there with me, but the first thing, obviously, is friendship is not virtual. I think, I hope there's no one in here that thinks pressing friend on Facebook um, constitutes a friendship. But um, texting, Facebook, Internet, and all that kind of stuff, they have their uses, but they're not an adequate means for friendship, ultimately. They have their uses for communicating information, but they're not an adequate means for friendship. And if you saw the movie Social Network, the movie's awesome. And essentially the argument that that movie makes with Mark Zuckerberg, the inventor of Facebook, is that he invented Facebook because he was so friendless, and at the end of the movie, he's still friendless. So the guy who created the billion-dollar social networking industry is still friendless. And the reason why Facebook doesn't constitute friendship, and I'm not simply saying being friends, but even relating to each other over that medium, it's not really a medium that constitutes friendship. It's simply because of this. Facebook is your Hannah Montana. That's really what it is. You know, I'm, I'm borrowing an argument from Chuck Closerman, but that's what Facebook is. 
Facebook's your Hannah Montana. It's your public relations campaign. It's, it's you at your wittiest. It's you at your caringest, right? Because we all remember everybody's birthday all the time. Normally, it just happens to be Facebook's a convenient place where we could write it down, right? No, nobody knows when anybody's birthday is. But on Facebook, we appear really caring. Facebook is us at our best, right? It's our Hannah Montana, and nobody sees our Miley Cyrus, right? Who we really are. At least they don't see that on Facebook. And if you're not known, if, if that's just your PR campaign, if it's just your Hannah Montana and not your Miley Cyrus, that's not real friendship that's taking place. Because it's not all of you that's relating to all of somebody else. Um, I, last year I read an article about these confession websites. You can, there are these websites all over the internet now. You can get on and people can anonymously confess sin that they've been bearing by themselves. And like, it's kind of the most beautiful, sad thing I've ever heard of because what it is is it's the success of these websites and the temptation to jump on these websites is us screaming to be known at the same time being utter, utterly fearful of being known. We want somebody to know who we are, but we don't want anybody to know who we are. And these kind of confession, these anonymous confession websites attest to that. Friend, so friendship is not virtual. Here's what friendship also isn't. Friendship is not being friendly. Friendship is not being friendly, being social, knowing a lot of people, being a social butterfly. Because the easiest place in the world to be lonely and the easiest place in the world to hide is with a group of people. Being around people and being known, being around people and being friends can be two totally different things. Proverbs 18.24 even says, A man of many companions actually can come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than her brother. And the the writer's actually saying, like, you can be really friendly and have lots of connections with lots of people and come to ruin. But if there's one friend that sticks close to your brother, it's totally different. So being friends is not necessarily being social, being friendly. And on the other end of that spectrum, there are those who look at the social butterflies and think, like, they're completely lonely. I have friends because I have two or three people I spend all my time with. And I'll say that, too. Spending a lot of time with just a few individuals is also not what friendship is. It's not necessarily friendship. You can spend a lot of time with people and never really be friends. And if you don't believe me, we've all seen marriages where that's true, where two people spend a ton of time together, would tell the world that they're best friends, and yet they're not. In fact, they're fiercely enemies, even though they spend a ton of time together. Just because you have a close-knit group of people that you spend a lot of time with doesn't mean you're friends. And you might do a lot of things with them, you might laugh together a lot, and you might even say that you're best friends, but you don't know each other, and you're still competitive with each other, and you still, can, you still can't rejoice in their success and in their flourishing, which means you're not really friends. So then what is friendship? I kind of put down five characteristics, we'll go through those, apply scripture to them, and then we'll Consider what it is, five characteristics of it, and then how it happens, how it comes into our lives. And the first thing is, is that friendship is honesty. James 5.16, James is urging the church, and he says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And his point is really this, that being known fully and being prayed for is healing. What happens When you make known all the dark recesses of your heart, when you make it known to a friend, when you put out into the words, 
all the things that you've been carrying by yourself and you put them into the mix of a relationship, guess what happens? You're not alone anymore with the dark recesses of your heart. And you're not alone anymore with the hidden angers and the hidden lust of your heart. And to no longer be alone with those parts of you that you've been burying by yourself all along is to begin to experience healing. Friendship is honesty, and there's two kinds of honesty involved in that. And the first one is really this, is what we've been talking about. Honesty about yourself. The index of intimacy, the index of dearness, kind of, of closeness, and of a health, the health of a relationship is actually not affection. It's not warm fuzzies. It's not how much they just make you happy. It's not the index of whether or not you have a healthy friendship. The index of a healthy friendship is knowledge. How well do you know each other? The index is how much they know about your hopes. Much, it's how much they know about your fears, how much you know about their hopes, and you know about their fears, about insecurities, about angers, about struggles. It's how much of their story and your story is known, about how much of your dreams and your heart and your history is known. To hold those things back from people is to avoid real and rich friendship. And you can have fun with a lot of people, and you can even, people can even make you happy. But your friends are the people who know you. And you'll always, you'll always feel alone as long as you refuse to be known. As long as you believe that you actually can only have friends by hiding who you are. And that's the path to loneliness. And it's not noble. It's actually foolish and it's ungodly and it's unbiblical and it's lonely. You don't become friends by hiding who you really are, by sparing them the trouble of your life. That's unfriendly, actually. So there's two kinds of honesty. First, honesty about yourself. And then the second kind of honesty is honesty with one another about the other person. Proverbs 27.6 says this, Faithful and good are the wounds of a friend, and profuse are the kisses of the enemy. And the writer's telling us, a friend will tell you the truth even when it hurts. And an enemy that's masquerading as a friend will only ever have happy things to say to you. You're, just, you're not friends with someone that you can't be truthful to them when you can't be truthful to them about them, and vice versa. And actually, the Bible warns against people who actually only have positive things to say inside of friendship. Proverbs 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbor lays a net at his feet. And what the writer's saying is, it's dangerous friendship if the only kind of thing that goes on in your communication is happy good things and all you are doing is affirming each other and your behavior and your lifestyle whatever it is that's not healthy friendship and we got to recognize that this flies in the face of all of our people pleasing instincts right because you can't tell people bad things about themselves right like that's how you run off friends right everything in our heart everything in us deeply socially insecure screaming don't do that Right? Friends are not friends unless you can't tell each other bad things about each other. Seriously. If you've never challenged the people around you and you've never been challenged by the people, if you've never challenged them and if they've never challenged you, you might have all the fun in the world, but you're not friends. And it actually reveals that you're actually not concerned with the other person. You like the way that they're 
friendship, not the, <coughs> excuse me, not cold, the way their relationship makes you feel, but you actually don't care for their well-being. You know what, this is, not, this is not a license to bludgeon other people with your opinion about how they should run their lives because the honesty of friendship, and this is crucial, is rooted deeply in humility. The honesty of friendship is actually born out of a desire to see your friend flourish. And that's why Jesus actually says, when he talks to people about confronting friends, he says, the first and foremost thing that you do when you tell a friend about something they're doing wrong or thinking wrong, the first and foremost thing you do is repent of your own sin. That's what Jesus means when he says, like, if you're going to deal with the speck in your brother's eye, you've got to deal with the log in your own first. And if you don't think you have a log, then you don't need to go talk to your friend about your speck. When you see how deeply junked up your life is in your own sin, and then you experience deeply the grace of God, you can go to friends with humility and confront them with love. If repentance isn't first and foremost and deep inside of you, then you can't confront friends. And you're not helpful when you do it. The healthy honesty of a friendship means that they know you. And when you're known, that produces a lot of humility, right? So that you can be honest with each other. And it's not from embittered and angry hearts, but it's actually with broken and humbled hearts. Here's a question. Do you pray with your friends? Who do you pray with? Those are your friends. Friendship is honesty. Secondly, friendship is heavy, it's costly. In Galatians 6.2, Paul actually tells the church, he says, bear one another burdens, and he actually says, so that you will actually fulfill the law of Christ. He actually says bearing each other's burdens fulfills the law of Christ. Now, what does it mean to bear one another's burdens? What that means is it's hard to be friends. It's heavy. It's weighty. It's actually difficult. It do, what it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean, not this is bad, I'm just saying this is not bearing each other's burdens. It doesn't mean someone's do, going through a difficult time and you're a cheerleader on the sideline. You can write sweet notes on people's Facebook walls. That's okay. I'm just telling you, that's not bearing people's burdens. Encourage people all you want on their Facebook wall. That's not bearing their burdens, though. That's not necessarily being a good friend. That's being Hannah Montana is kind of what it is. It's my best me without the Miley Cyrus me, right? Um, what does it mean to bear each other's burdens? Okay, Paul's giving us an image there when he talks about bearing each other's burdens. What it means is someone's carrying something heavy. And to bear their burden means you come down underneath it and you take some of the weight upon your back, which means it is now heavy on you and it's lighter on them. Friendship is heavy. It is burdensome. If there aren't hard times in your friendships, then are you bearing each other's burdens? If your friendships aren't costing you something, then are you bearing each other's burdens? This is, again, this is more than just kind of casual encouragement. It, it may be that, but it's a lot more. It's actually emotionally getting into the terror of their burdens. It is emotionally getting down into the terror of their burdens getting down inside of it and being terrified there with them. And it's hard because it means that you give up things you wanted to do, it gives up, you give up your plans, what you intended, you set aside your agenda, and you go and make a sacrifice, not just of time and agenda, but you go and carry heavy things with a friend. 
Another way of saying it simply is friendship is sacrifice. A friend of mine, the campus minister at Tennessee, had this illustration. He talked about this man flying with his son. This is a friend of his. Guy flew with his young son. He was so excited about flying. They were having a great time. They hit some turbulence. The son's stomach starts to get upset. They grab the bag. The son throws up. The dad catches it in the bag, seals it up, holds it, hands it to the flight attendant. And they were walking off the airplane, and Brent said this is the son just turned to the dad, and he goes, Dad, thanks for catching my throw up. <laughs> That's friendship. To be friends means that you can't remove people from your life who are messy. Because you, we all have this image of how we want life to go. We kind of have this neat, compartmentalized, everything together life. I'm headed in this direction. I'm aiming for all my hopes and dreams. I'm going to get there. And so we want friendships that aren't going to kind of derail that, right? Which means that when friendships get messy and they threaten to, disrail, to derail our agendas, we push them aside. And that's actually why our friendships are shallow. It's because once they get deep, they get costly. And costly means some of your hopes and dreams get given up so that you can carry a burden for them. The reason we keep our friendships shallow, it's not because we're shallow people. It's actually because we want our hopes and dreams. We don't care about these people. I mean, to kind of be really heavy here for a moment, like, if this is your story or the story of a friend that you came, everybody has darkness and bad stories from all of their households. Everybody in this room dies from their home. But if you come from a home in which darkly evil things happened, a home in which moms and dads hated each other, a moms where abuse happened, if someone, if the person you call a friend, if that's your story, and the, the person you call your best friend hasn't wept with you over that, not a friend, if the person you call a friend has that story and you haven't wept with them over that, they're not a friend. And if you're thinking, oh, I'm 18, I'm 19, I'm 20, I'm 21 years old, I'm over that now, you're not. Because mommies and daddies aren't supposed to hate each other in front of their children. Because the people who have given authority are not supposed to abuse in an egregious way. The people with whom God has said, care for these children. The burdens of the darkness of some of the brokenness in the households in this room are dark and heavy. And, and you just can't blow them off. It's not heroic to blow them off. It's actually not healthy to blow them off. It's actually putting your future marriage and family in danger to blow them off. It's not cool. It's dark, and it's deep, and it's heavy. And friends will weep there with you. And you'll weep there with someone if you're their friend. Friendship is a place where we bear each other's mur- burdens, where we get into their messes with them, and we just live there in the hardness of it. One of the other reasons we avoid messiness is sometimes we're too proud to be messy in front of others. If you never let a person, if you never actually let another person catch your throw up or bear your burden, that actually doesn't mean you're being a good friend. That means you're being a bad friend and you're actually committing to a life of unbiblical loneliness. And you're really commanded in some ways to throw up into the hands of a friend. And it's actually foolish and unfriendly not to. And that's what, why I chose this passage from John 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. And greater love has nothing more than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Friendship is costly. And what that means is it's not really about you and how you benefit. Friendship actually means it's about them. 
It's costly and it's forgiving. Because for what reason does Jesus lay down the life, his life for his friends? So that they can be forgiven, right? If there's a, a costly or a heavy or a burden-bearing nature to friendship, then the heaviest burden that you'll bear in your friendship is actually forgiving them and being forgiven. And like we said last week, so I'm not going to go into this too much, forgiveness is actually, by definition, absorbing the pain due to another person. Forgiveness is pain. It is pain. If you're not feeling pain, then it's not forgiveness. Jesus demonstrates that on the cross. To be forgiven, he has to absorb pain that was due to us. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about laying down his life for his friends. If forgiveness is not at the heart of our friendships, then every friendship's actually a ticking time bomb, is it not? Because eventually there will be one particular thing that you won't forgive, or there'll be a buildup of a minor offense that I can only forgive this so many times. If forgiveness is not at the heart of it, every friendship's a ticking time bomb. You're just waiting for it to explode. Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats an offense, talks about it over and over, separates close friends. Do you continue to think upon, to meditate upon, maybe to bring up in conversation the ways in which your friend has upset you or wronged you? In our house, this happens a lot, unfortunately. I'll come home for dinner. This happens often. I won't use names. Um, One girl will be sitting at the dinner table as a family, and one girl will be like, Daddy, this is is how they say she sinned against me. They go, Daddy. Shelby, they wouldn't, Shelby sweet, just picking one at random. Shelby um, pulled my hair today and it made me sad. I think that's how they say, she upset me. She made me sad. And um, when they say that, I always go, well, Mary, did you forgive her? Yeah. Well, then we're never talking about that ever again. And she kind of gets in that brief moment that it's hard for her to put it down. Because what she wants is she wants Shelby to ex- to endure public shame at that moment, right? She wants to shame her publicly. She wants her to experience the displeasure of her father. She's shaming her in front of her father. She actually still wants Shelby to pay for it, right? And I tell her, Shelby's not in trouble. We're never talking about that ever again, right? And it's hard for her. You see, Mary actually has to bear pain when she ceases to talk about it. She has to take that sense of injustice and that sense of righteous indignation and put it away inside of her, and it's hard, and it's painful. She actually gets for a second that it's, it's actually hard for me to forgive my sissy. Friendship is honesty. It is heavy. It is forgiving. And it is constant. It is lasting. Proverbs 17.7, A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. And we read uh, earlier, Proverbs 18.24, but a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Friendships last. We live in a world that's, there are institutions that kind of work against us, right? It's actually not normal in human history for people to move hundreds of miles at different points in their life. Most people grew up and lived their entire life within five miles of where they were born. But today, interstates, whatever, they're not evil, but they do make it harder. <laughs> Are you have guys that interstates are evil? Um, no. But there's a sense in which we, there's much more transition that takes place. And it makes it harder for friendship to continue to occur. It makes more work to continue our friendships. 
But we've got to see this. Friendships are not simply connections of convenience. Uh, real friendship is lasting. It's actually strengthened through adversity. It's not threatened by adversity. And so one question I'd have is, do you find yourself cycling through friends, through best friends? Not because of geographical change, but do you find that people come to your life, you begin to call this person your friend, maybe even your best friend, a good friend, and over time, as you begin to know each other, there are certain things that come between your adversity, and you push them back out. I, honestly, this is actually something I see a ton in campus ministry, and people are rarely willing to say this is true of them. And the reason no one wants to say it's true of them is because we all have a reason for rejecting our friend, right? We were friends for a while, but they did or said something. But you see, a friend loves at all times, and her brother's born for adversity. Adversity doesn't threaten friendship. It actually builds it. And, and I mean, the, the sweetest thing about friendship is the lasting nature of it, is to know that you always have a friend not a temporary friend, not someone who might or might not be there, but to know that they're always there, to know that you can always call, to know that you can always be with them, to know that you can always confess, to know that you can always weep, to know that it's always available, that friendship's always there, that in the moment of need, you have a friend that sticks closer than her brother. And lastly, friendships are joyful. The gospel, what God's actually planned for all of Scripture is actually this. When you read the end of Revelation, it's actually to make friends. The new heavens and the new earth is, descri- is a new community of friends. Friendship, sweetly enjoyed. Is, is, I mean, it's just simply the best thing. Every, there's a standard formula to biopics in Hollywood, right? These are just kind of at random. The Doors, Jim Morrison, Ray with Ray Charles, the Walk the Line movie, um, Aviator with Howard Hughes. All biopics about celebrities and famous people and all that kind of stuff, they all have the exact same storyline, right? Here's this guy who's tremendously talented. By his talent, he gets everything anybody ever wants, runs off all his friends, and dies depressed. I mean, that's what every biopic's about, about how people experience incredible success in every facet of life except have no friends and they're deeply unhappy. They have everything. And the the thing that tears at our heart when we watch Ray and Aviator and all that kind of stuff is the loneliness that's ripping them up when they have everything. Friendship is joy. is what we were made for. It's better than anything. So how do we get it? Two ways. Through discovery and through transformation. First point is this, and I'm borrowing from Tim Keller, who borrowed from C.S. Lewis. Um, friendships, it's discovered. It's not made. When you look at Paul in his letters, he has all these personal greetings all the time. He's talking to people, especially at the end of Romans. And in all of his personal greetings and his well-wishing, and he talks about his heart longing for them, and his blessing, and his prayer for them, and his fondness for them, a lot of them are people he's never met face to face. And yet his heart is pouring out for them. And it begs the question of why. Why are these people so dear to him and he's never met them? And this is the reason why. is because Paul and the person to whom he's writing 
have a common love. It's because they have a common passion. Friendship is not face-to-face. Friendship is not looking at the other person and screaming, validate me, value me. Friendship is a side-by-side relationship. It's actually two people standing side-by-side and saying, do you see that? Do you love that? Do you want to go there with me? C.S. Lewis really kind of describes this really well in his book, The Four Loves. He says this, Friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste, which the others do not share, and which till that moment each believed to be his own unique treasure. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. And this is what he says. This is why, this is what he says, those pathetic people who simply want friends actually never make any because the very condition of having friends is actually that we should want something else besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I see nothing. I don't care about truth. I just want a friend. No friendship can arise in that context. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. There's those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. You see what he's saying? Friendship is about two people discovering that they had a common love. It's about two people discovering not that they love each other, but that they love something else together. For lack of a better illustration, CrossFit, right? I'm preppy, pampered, southerner. I hate the NFL and love college football. I love being around people. I ask lots of questions. I love pop culture, right? I start CrossFitting in June with this guy named Matt. He's this tatted up Yankee. He has a Cincinnati Bengals tattoo on his calf, okay? Like, I would have a baseball tattoo before an NFL tattoo. Um, he doesn't like to talk. He's a military vet. He's a combat vet. And, and again, kind of of all things, the worst possible thing, he's an NFL fan. Um, he's become a good friend, a really good friend, really quickly. We became good friends because we discovered CrossFit together, that we both loved it. We have nothing in common. There's no reason I should really like this guy or he should really like me. Your sense, our sense of loneliness and our desire to have friends is testimony to the fact that we're human. But if you simply go looking for friends because you want friends, you don't have anything about which your friendships can be. And you see, what that means, of course, is that actually our best friends reveal what we love the most. The people that we're most connected with, we care the deepest about, they actually reveal what we love the most. Because what happens is that thing that you love causes all the other differences, the differences between me and Matt, to fade in the background. And no longer they don't divide us anymore because we have a common, a common love that's stronger than our allegiances to all these other smaller things. And it draws us together. And so that's why this is really the application. If you want to have friends, this is what you must do, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.33, what Paul tells us in Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on things that are above, 
not things that are on earth. This, the reason I actually teach the same sermon every week at RUF, one of the reasons why is actually so you can become friends. Because what I'm trying to teach every week at RUF, the fundamental thing that I'm aiming for is actually to get you to love Jesus, to see that there's a king who is full of grace and steadfast love. I want you to forget I want us to work together to forget our self-obsession and come and see that he is good and he is patient and he's full of mercy and he's full of blessing and he's worthy of worship. Because when you do that, you fall in love with him and you'll actually start to find friends really quickly. If you begin to love him, I suspect you're going to find friends. And if you're around for a while with these with these Christian people and you're numbering yourselves among these Christian people and yet you find that Christian people, these God people, are hard to be friends with and you find yourself asking, where are all the friends that I was promised that I wanted, right? Where are the friends that I wanted for me? You're not going to find friends with that question. If you find it hard to find friends among God's people, then the problem very well may be that you have little passion for the thing that they have a lot of passion for. To make friends, you got to love Jesus. You can't just want friends. And if you come here simply because you want friends, you'll find this is a group with which you can do a lot of different activities with, and yet never really find rich friendship because you're seeking friends. And all the people that you're seeking to be friends with, they're not seeking friends, they're seeking Jesus. And you're going to feel left out. And you'll feel like you're looking in on a community of friends of which you never seem to be a part of. You can spend a lot of time together and you can laugh a lot together. But you feel like deeper companionship's never happening. You just can't you can't simply want friends. It's not how they come. You have to want the kingdom of God. So friendship actually occurs through discovery. Through discovering a common love. And secondly, along with that. Friendship comes by transformation. What I mean by that is friendship comes also by you becoming a friend. Because you see, in your discovery of the king and of his grace and of his love, his grace and love actually transform you into the kind of friend that he's been to you. To have these kinds of friends, really you actually have to be this kind of friend. If all you want is someone to be this kind of friend to you, what I want is I want that for me. Give me a person like that for me then you're actually not going to find a friend. But when, when you begin to rest in the grace and the love of Jesus, when Jesus becomes the thing that you love, then all of a sudden what you're going to do is you're going to look beside you and realize there's someone else there that also loves him. Who loves the same Jesus. You've got to see that in friendship, Jesus is all of these things already for you. Jesus is the one who is honest He's the one who tells us deeply and very politically incorrectly about the darkness and the sin in our heart. And like a good friendship, we're at first terrified and we push it away because we're scared of being known. But then we find that within the friendship of Jesus, that is a safe place to be known. He's the person who bore our burdens literally. He doesn't just share our burdens. He actually takes them away. He takes on our sin and selfishness. And we become the righteousness of God. That's actually what Paul says. He who knew no sin became our sin. He took all our burdens. And he actually gave us the blessings and the righteousness of God. 
He's the one that bore our burdens. He's the one who forgives. And in doing so, he absorbs all the pain of our junk, and he endures the pain of forgiveness for us. He is the one that laughs as a friend. He sticks closer than a brother. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 136. The first time you read it, it's almost upsetting. I'm not going to read it all, but it's 26 verses, and every verse has one line and then a second line that's repeated. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. And it goes on like that for 26 verses. He's the one that sticks closer than her brother. His love's not conditional in the circumstances, and his love's not threatened by adversity. His steadfast love endures forever. And he's the one that brings joy. To be a good friend, you have to let the friendship of Jesus begin to transform you. And when it does, when you begin to love him, you're going to discover people side by side. Let's pray.